welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Rishi and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's a backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the land where this conversation takes place, land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today I'm chatting to Gareth Whitten at Tarts Anon. I was lucky enough to chat to Gareth and his partner, Catherine, for Broadsheet right before the Cremorne shop opened for dine-in customers. And I probably picked the worst time to hit up Gareth now for my own chef chat, given that they've only just opened a second shop in Collingwood and they have a baby due any second. Gareth was just finishing up something when I arrived, so he set me up with a delicious savoury tart. Maple glazed bacon in a leek and almond base topped with Swiss gruyere custard. Far be it from me to channel Janice from Friends, but oh my god. <laughs> Gareth and I just launched right in with a very organic conversation covering, well, obviously tarts, but also imposter syndrome, dinner by Heston, and how fabulous and absolutely pivotal Catherine is in the narrative in the community and the success surrounding Tarts and On. Hopefully to a building firm. Which would be a dream because then I can get them to renovate. <laughs> it's yeah. so hard at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. But we, um, yeah, we're hoping to extend the kitchen because we just can't. I mean, it's a good problem. Can't keep up right now. It's amazing. Congratulations on Collingwood as well. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's been good. I was going to say. Um, the number of chefs I've spoken to who have just opened a new venue and then have a new baby um, on the way or about to come is really phenomenal. Why yeah. do you do it to yourself? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> now I think about it, um, oh, I, I, I did say the other week that there was a certain, um, there was an appeal to it. And I know that we were going to look back and think like, oh, you know, that wasn't that bad. But we're in right in the middle of it now. It's like it's not going to look seem that bad because it'll be done. 
but and nothing catastrophic has happened but it's just been a it's been a grind and yeah. we've had because obviously the baby could come at any minute now yes I didn't so, think that <laughs> yeah um, and then yeah Collingwood is you know we're really juggling like a lot of different well factors to to make it work um, and not only that but like uh, you know, my sous chef and um one of my strongest chefs are both in on holidays. One's in Europe, one's in Canada. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I guess to, you know, converse the, the compound that where we've just hired these new people who need training and no one to do it. So I think that's another kind of fallout thing, isn't it? That, I mean, you know, we had COVID and lockdowns and then now, you know, you're back, but mm. there's people need holidays because... You know, oh, there's yeah. been it's been stressful yeah. and whatnot, and it's winter, and then, but then people are still getting COVID <laughs> and not being at work, and um, it's full on. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, we had, uh, yeah, we've we've had COVID, um, like people with COVID uh, last couple of weeks. We've mm. got another one this week. But on a positive note, mm. you need a bigger kitchen, and you're expanding. Who would have yeah, thought? Um, from Catherine's brilliant idea for tarts. <laughs> That it would be, it's so successful and everyone talks about you, like tarts and non is just everywhere. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I did say I didn't think that it would ever going to be like this. I ne- it never was supposed to be anyway. I never, small, he- there's always been a hesitance from my end about doing this. I was always a little bit apprehensive about going out on my own. Um... It might be that, uh, you know, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like imposter syndrome, I guess. You know, I know that's a word that gets banded around a fair bit. But, yeah, I think the last time we spoke is where we talked about how it's it's so inherent in our industry, you know, mm. that you're never good enough. Yeah. Um, and then there's, like, this new thing that I think the onset of social media and reality television, it's really giving people that belief that yes they can they are good enough and yes they can be something mm. so a lot of young people are going out and making a fist of it doing their own thing and we've seen some great success stories of people who are you know still in their in, in the infancy as a, mm. as as well entrepreneurs and restaurateurs and chefs um who are just like taking that leap a lot earlier than perhaps you know people of maybe my generation would have interesting isn't it because I think on one hand this, the, the new generation the young generation coming through there seems to be a lot of self-belief and mm. then there's a lot of anxiety and and um and mental health concerns for them as well so I wonder what it is that but there is a real I think because maybe the whole influencer thing mm. and um the fact that we see everyone online but what do we see we see all, all the good stuff that's happening for them we don't see all yeah. the trials and tribulations Maybe that makes people feel more able just to go, well, why can't I do it? Are they doing it? So I'll just do it. Yeah, I don't true. know. Whereas we've had more time yeah. and, you've, and we've, you know, you've slowly built up through the ranks and whatnot. And, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I remember growing up like, as, a, as a young chef in kitchens. Um, and I don't know if it was just like the particular kitchens I was in or if it was just that time, like the you know, early, mid-2000s was we were still really trying to... Oh, I think there was a lot of that toxic 
mm. energy that was just rampant through the 90s in kitchens where, you know, hasn't really seen uh, an evolution from uh, until very recently, but it was just, it was not something you did. Like, you didn't go out and do your own thing. You didn't, like, cooking competitions were seen as, like, naff. Um, mm. You know, the way that you made it was to put your head down and do the hard slog. And call, I call me old school, but I just still genuinely believe that that's the case. Mm. I... I will always support and um, praise people who have the the bravery to go out and do their own thing. But uh, one thing that I've noticed, especially with a lot of young people who have that confidence, they, they a lot of the things that perhaps they lack are things that I think are only really acquired doing that rubbish stuff. <laughs> If I like to be controversial, but I think it is, I think it's the case. And I think a lot of people will agree. Um, but then again, that's also very much a toxic part of the industry that needs to change. That's you know? so tough, isn't it? It is. You go around in circles because you want to be encouraging and all of that. And, um, oh, and hospitality needs people and goodness yeah. and all of that stuff. It's, tr- it's tricky though. I was thinking about, um, about you and uh, you know I was thinking about isn't it interesting how you've really you know narrowed down to one thing um and it's a bit like doing a a PhD or a doctorate where Mm. you've done all of the general study and then you've sort of refined your choices refined your choices you're like you know head Mm. pastry chef and then now you're doing tarts it's like the very the very tiny little you know but it's what everyone wants I just who knew that we even wanted tart so much, but we really did. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think a small part of me also thought it was, this, you know, when when we were first started doing it, it kind of felt like there was it was a bit of a calling, but it was also the um, solidification, I guess, of the business and of my oh god, I wouldn't say image, but you know what I mean, because I never I never wanted to be I, I, obviously in the spotlight. Like that was. It's so so far from from my focus, and always had been. But I always wanted to want my legacy. I don't know, but like what I did and like what it's always gonna it's always gonna be part of who you are. I think being a chef, um, and and not the chef part, but like what it like how you then take your skills and you know earn your apply your trade mm. um it, it is it is part of your identity mm. um and I was never really sure what they wanted it to be and I always wanted it to be something that was taken seriously I always wanted it to be the thing that you know the business was like you know the, the, the sole focus of for what we were doing um not for like my personal you know gratification or anything but just more for um you know, you, you felt like you were doing something important. Mm. And, uh, yeah, um, I wasn't really sure if Tarts was going to give me that because I think the best thing about what it is is that it is so understated. And I've I said this, you know, I've said this a few times when people have asked why, and I was just like, there's absolutely no reason other than just it was something that I guess we always did and, and obviously if you know a little bit about how we came to be with the lockdown mm. it was just, and it just snowballed um, and 
yeah, a good part of what we do is about like the product and everything like that, but so much more of it is about what Cat does and like, you know, and the community and like our socials and things like that and how we're perceived. Um, and yeah, it's a package, but as for the product itself, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a very satisfying thing, I'll say. It's like one of those, say, a lot of classic cooking that you do the most simple things, but you do them very well. Um, a lot of those old school things, you really do see the results from putting in the graft early, doing everything, following all those steps. And you could be saying the same thing, like, you know, for, for, for most, well, particularly pastry, but like for a lot of cooking, you know, it's all about like your good foundations, good, like you can't make a good sauce without good stock, and that's true, you know. Um, feels very French or very European. I, it is. I'm going to say that because I'm a French teacher, but I feel like, you know, specialising in one thing and doing it really excellently, mm. like, um, you know, La Durée in Paris who do the macaron, mm. um, yeah, that's my one example, but, you know, but, pe- but people do one thing over there and, and yeah. that's what they're known for, and um, so I think that's great. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> well, that's, I think that's it. I think the the fact that we were doing doing this was... Yeah, as I said, it was just something that I liked to do and I figured, you know, why not make this... do, like, different variations on on the theme. Um, But you do... I always used to use this one example of this cafe that I can't remember what it was. It's somewhere in Richmond, Bridge Road or something. It was this place, just to walk past, I won't name it, but you could get lasagna, pad thai, burger, you know what I mean, (laughs) all on the same menu. And I just thought, like, gee whiz... And like, and the same goes for, for for so many restaurants. You think like, why would you dilute your quality by trying to be, I think, uh, you know, jack of all trades? And then you know, if you really think about the essence of of these specialists, and you know, I'll use people like you know, Laudere and and like Herme, you know, yes. like this is these these great examples. And you got like you know, over here the the sandwich revolution. You got yes. people like Kate Reed who are just yeah, you know, and, and Cam who do. Who decided like both their businesses and just sort of like we're gonna do one thing, but we're gonna approach it from a different angle and we're gonna do it better than anyone else. And even if there are people out there doing a great croissant, then you know they're also got a you know financier or a other thing on the menu, and it does dilute their focus somewhat. And um, obviously their brand and everything around it as well is just you know such a um, it's, it's yeah definitely like. The, the, where the bar is I think mm. Mm. Um, uh, but but yeah uh, I digress the thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, having like specialising in the thing and, and not only putting all your focus and your intention into doing it best you can um, is obviously going to give you a better product but I also think it does make your oh god I hate to use the word overuse the word brand but because it, it is something that does get thrown around so much but it is so important I think mm. in having a business these days um, but it gives you that image and it means that these people are the people who you think of when you think of yeah, a macaron, a croissant a tart and you know we would love to be those people who think it's hearts and they think of us yeah. because for, for, for all the reasons because everything that we do we, we do the you know That's right. as best we can or excellent product excellent narrative mm. Um, there's a sense of community around it. Mm. So you don't want to use the word cult following, but you've, de- you've developed a cult following. Yeah. 
People were excited yeah. about another place, weren't they? It's like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In my yeah. mind, see all these people running, <laughs> running up to Tatsunoko. Oh, the, the excitement around it was nice because, yeah. and you know, and the, like I said, the narrative it ties back into that. We did that. We kind of kickstarted a lot of things once we moved out of our apartment and into like a commercial kitchen and yeah. up in Collingwood and we were there for the longest time and that just sort of became us and who we were and you know that's when we had the line the big lines queuing down um Smith Street and uh yeah really forged mm. our identity in Collingwood so to come back home was kind of felt like that sort of return um yeah of the product son yeah, uh, finally going back to feeding people the north again. But no, it, um, and you know everything else about the about the new space is it's incredible. You know, yeah. we love the guys who we've moved in with. You know, they did an amazing thing. Um, it was always something that I thought I would like to do at some point, but never really thought about how I could, you know, combine two of my passions. But you know. Um, so being yeah, a head so of a pastry section for Heston, that was mm. that's huge mm. in London. No, I was. No. Uh, I worked. I worked as a chef de party in London. London, okay. yeah. Um, but we head chef here. Head, head chef, chef, yeah. So I um, when I when I left um, when I left London way back when um, they had already started knocking together. Planned. So all that stuff was already in the works for, right. for the fat duck and um, and then dinner um, afterwards. So, um, you know, and I left prematurely for no, nothing nothing major other than, you know, Catherine and I had just started dating and she was moving back to Australia. She'd been on a gap year in Argentina and I was kind of torn between like, because you know, I was just just obsessed with that job like I loved working there I loved you know everything about working at dinner loved the people you know I really looked up to Ashley you know I Heston was a was a big role model of mine um and I just didn't want to leave but yeah came back so there was a lot of talk around you know why well, I say a lot of talk but like we, we as plans were in motion it was something like I really want to be a part of this so I was kind of like like shortlisted for to be part of the open team which was obviously exhilarating um yeah got the call uh once for about oh, yeah about a year later and they, um was going to go down for to work at the fat duck but decided not to and then went down for opening um offered me sous chef job straight off the bat which wow. was wild at the yeah. time um i yeah didn't think that i was at that point um again could have been that uh, lack of confidence I had in my in my ability of leadership in particular but yeah it was 100% just wrapped with mm. the opportunity so yeah went down and uh, yeah didn't really look back worked as a sous chef there for about two and a half years and then took over when the head pastry chef moved on um, and, and then, how many people did you have in your team then oh at, at the time well actually started off with a absolute bloody dumpster fire when I first took over and we were down to about I think seven or eight at one stage which was you know about four below the head count um but yeah I think we had about I think there was there was 11 of some team yeah in total at the end and now how many because yeah. now are you do we call you an executive chef oh, now or, are you, or what I, are you I just I don't know what I am chef I don't know. owner <laughs> just uh I say I mean yeah, I, I technically I'm the head chef still um, yeah. here, 
because I'm still very much on the tools, which is, you know, where I want to be, I think, mm. for now. Um, uh, director, I say. Yeah. But then that kind of gives the illusion of it being far bigger than perhaps what we are. But at the end of the day, we've got, like, close to 20 mm. employees, two mm. venues. So... Yeah, maybe I should just nestle into that director role. I don't yeah, know, right. but yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Just isn't owner, it? co-owner, co-owner. Yeah, co-owner and chef. <laughs> yeah, co-owner chef. That's not. And did you always want to be a chef? No, no. That was. Oh, to be honest, I didn't really. I think I always had a bit of a. I always gravitated towards cooking a little bit, but we weren't like we're not a like a culinary family by any means. Mum's a massive Frankophile, so she loves the idea, but she's also, at the same time, very, I don't know, meat and two veg, you know, Central Coast, New South Wales, hardly, um, you know, uh, the gastronomic capital of Australia. But, yeah, and but, you know, it was, all, it was yeah, it was, it was just pretty simple, but like, yeah, it was always dad, it was something special, was happening like someone was we were doing like some kind of you know special occasion then dad was always on the pans um and I always liked to be around that but I didn't think about it until I was 17 I'd been working as a KP ever since I was 14 I was old enough to work um and then just because it was a part-time job or yeah 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 Yeah, I mean it's not the only kind of part-time work we had and like for you know for people our age and could I mean never really went down the supermarket checkout chick yeah. route, but um, yeah, in Southern Highlands, New South Wales, like yeah, there's little restaurants, cafes, and so I was doing that, um, and then fell into a job, um, like an African restaurant, and the, the head chef quit, and it was me and an apprentice and the owner, and uh, it was really quiet. So on the on the weeknights, he would get me to like cook the mains and whatever I had no idea what I was doing like a lot of the stuff was in the microwave and stuff it was hardly it was, it was hardly the most glamorous role but yeah. it was it was it was fun and I thought like, it's actually not bad he'd talk, tell me all these stories of you know um, working in big hotels in Sydney and and that was like you know back in the 90s it would have been wild and all these crazy things people stitching each other up and people getting burnt and head chefs screaming and chucking plates and that and I was like oh wow that's nuts and then, yeah, I don't know. I think never being one of the institutions, I, 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 I was fine at school, but just thought the idea of studying any further and doing any, uh, doing exams and assignments and stuff was just so far from where I saw myself being that I just thought, well, we'll give this cooking a crack. And I guess we didn't really turn back. I, I, I'm, I'm like horrifically stubborn in that regard, like to a fault. Where I will, you know, stick with something even if I, if I truly loathe it, I will, I will try and stick it out, just because, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Badge of honor, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, and then yeah, it's kind of evolved, and it's one of those things that yeah, maybe it all kind of pieced together from when I was a kid, and I found that the affinity I had with the kitchen, and perhaps like you know, wanted to be around when Dad was doing his, his signature Greek chicken or whatever, and. You know, making shortbreads or whatever with mum and that um, and then it came to be that yeah first year 
as an apprentice was just like this is, this is actually pretty cool really yeah. enjoyed it and then from there I think I just went you know well into the deep end mm. and just became a little bit obsessed so but yeah it was never really something that I thought that I would do I always wanted to play footy which I never really good enough to oh, yeah yeah unfortunately wow yeah I wonder sometimes and I've, I've thought about this because I I thought about when footy players go out on the field, especially the AFL ones where mm. everyone's eyes are on them and there's a lot of pressure and so on. Is it a mm. bit like service in the restaurant where you, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you've got to you prep and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like the theatre too, isn't it? The summer you're out and you're doing it and it's all happening. And, you you're working on those open kitchens. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. And like people do like that. And there was, again, there was that, I think I grew up in this golden era where we kind of evolved from you know, that horribleness of the of the 90s and the Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Waring's of the <clears> world um, into, you know, what we call the MasterChef era where it became glamorised and mm. it, it went from less rock star to more pop star. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was cool. It wasn't just sort of like Marco, you know, smoking darts and, you know, sweating in a blue apron over a stock pan. It was, you know... Um, it was actually cool, it was trendy, and, you know, you saw these people really glamorise the profession mm. um, in a not-so-grungy way, which I thought was, you know, it's, it's actually been interesting to see evolve, but, yeah. And so when you say you became obsessed, um, yeah. and so obviously that means you worked really hard and you sought ways to work your way up and so on, does that also mean, do you, do you, do you read about other chefs or find, I mean, what, oh. look at, look at, books what was your what's your how I do used you to yeah. yeah I used to I became I think I became really immersed in it um you know and that came with the lifestyle as well like you were just that your days off were you know Tuesday and Wednesday usually mm. you'd wake up at one because you'd been at the pub till <laughs> late with all the hot on hospital night the night before um yeah and then your days off was spent just going out to restaurants um with you and your dropkick mates, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it was a growing cookbook collection. Now it's kind of like tapered off a little bit. I've just, um, you know, I have beautiful books and stuff and like the odd one comes along that, that really grabs me. But like these, these days has been, I've got lots of friends who've, who've made some, written some incredible books. Um, you know, Roshin's Sport Chinese Yeah, I wrote about know. it for Board Sheet. <laughs> so I know all about it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. It's beautiful, isn't Great it? Great Absolutely. Annalise Gregory, she brought something out recently. I was like, one I was like, oh, I've got to get that, you know. She was, um, we worked together key years ago and she's been a huge, well, we only worked together for about 18 months, but we've been, we, we you know, stayed loosely in, in, in contact over these years and I just still really look up to her as a, she's a bit real mentor of mine and I thought but yeah that when it comes to cookbooks that's that's about where it you know yeah sort of ends these days um but yeah at the time that was all where all my money went yeah restaurants cookbooks knives all that sort of stuff it is pretty amazing and, and having been in London and all those things that's that, that's a great it's a great um journey isn't mm. it <laughs> it's very anthony bourdain-esque yes. the, that underbelly like yeah i'm sure it still exists these days but that underbelly of the cooking world where like you know you live with all you, all you do is you travel around the world with your knife roll and a spare pair of shoes and some undies and yeah like yeah a bit seedy but yeah all very driven by passion and this obsession you know 
Um, yeah. It's always fascinating about the industry. It's that real melting pot of what is cooking, you know, is it, is it a trade? Is it an art? Is it a science? It's literally everything bungled in together, but at the same time, it's still always... The, the industry is just run by this ragtag bunch of misfits you know <laughs> you get pretty boys who have a knack for cooking um or you have ex-military people come out of nowhere you just got like you know guys who just who've, who've you know had a rough upbringing but seem to thrive in that environment you know and and they all kind of come together under this umbrella of being a chef and I guess all of that stuff's almost thrown out the window which I think is you know is beautiful in itself to a, to a degree that's right yeah. And so now with, um, with where you're at mm. um, and with the cult following, are you mm. able to feel happy with what you do or do you still have a slight imposter? Oh. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, of course. Like, the, I think that's never going to go away. Like, I'm never going to embrace um, stardom if, if, if it ever befalls me. But I, but I truly believe, I will say this, that I think... It's only because it's not an inadequacy, but it's. I think no matter what I do and what I achieve, I'm grateful for the fact that I will never be complacent because I still feel that there's more that I can do, and I still feel that that is the case with what we're doing now. Not because you know I'm capable of so much more, but I just think like there's opportunity out there, and I just don't really want to leave that that opportunity. At least, you know, having a crack at it. Um, and, you know, our people do say you create your own luck and that sort of thing. And I think we have, you know, we've, you know, worked ourselves to the bone to, to get to where we are now. But we have also been incredibly fortunate. I've forged some incredible connections out of circumstance. Um, I've done enough or people have liked me enough, I guess, to sort of, you know, keep those connections strong enough to you know to forge a relationship from um i've got like some incredible mentors and friends who have just assisted us all the way um and yeah in hindsight i also also look back and think well that's just what being successful is is that making sure that like doing the best thing to keep people around you and then it's not that you just sort of bumped into the street and they're like oh here here I'll do this for you you know you think you have to do the right things to make sure those people around but yeah I think that's been a huge backbone to our success story as well um and beyond any friend or mentor or you know inspiration I've ever had I think the number one for me in that is is my partner like I think most people by now know that short like this no matter no matter you know if they put me on the telly or you know write an article where I'm she is Tarzan on 100% like none of this would be without her yeah and I don't mean like she's just been like she she come and picks me up from work or goes to the shops when I run out of flour no she's like she she drove this yeah she's a mastermind she does like a lot all the business ideas and you know the the little just the little things that kind of make us stand out from from the rest that little kind of niche pocket we fall into is all because of her she's super witty she's incredibly 
business focused. She's economically, um, very incredibly economically competent. You know, I'll I'll be like, yeah, oh, we're doing well this week. Screw it, I'll spend six grand on this new toy for the kitchen or something like that. And she's like, well, you know, you know, and she's always kept me in line that way, you know, and yeah. um, that frugality has really rubbed off. And I think now together with the two of us, we kind of really have forged something pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, she's, she's, she's by and far the main reason why this thing's been a success, I think, which is, which is sweet. It's great. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Gareth Whitten at Tarts and Non. If you want to experience all the greatness for yourself, which of course you do, you should check out the Tarts and Non Insta at tarts underscore anon. It's brilliantly wrangled by Catherine. It's very quirky and funny, not to mention it has gorgeous photos of tarts. You should also jump on www.tartsanon.com.au and order a tart. Why would you not? As for me, I'm also on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. And if you want to read the chat, you can head to www.conversationwithachef.com. I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcast. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.